0: Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you thanks for this special day, the day that we commemorate what took place 2,000 years ago, the death of your son on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. Without this, Lord, we know that we would have no access, no future access to heaven. And we thank you for the ability that has been presented to us for us to have fellowship with you. We pray that as we Go through your word. You would make this alive and real. In Jesus' name, amen. Resurrection was certainly read about by Eric up here, and it's listed four places in Scripture, Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16, Luke chapter 24, and John chapter 20. But before we get into this, there was a a show, both a radio show and a television show, There was a show that started June 3rd, 1949, and it ran for about seven years on television to, I believe, about 1955, and there were two men in there. One was the name Jack Webb. The other was the name Mr. Morgan. Do you know who Mr. Morgan is? Harry Morgan, yes. He is the, the, what do you say, the commanding officer on MASH. Now, this program had a name. Dragnet. Now, those of you who are old enough will remember that. And it had a terrific run on television. It was vastly popular even on radio. And there was a movie made in 1954 for Dragnet. And there is one phrase that sticks with that show. One phrase by Sergeant Joe Friday that was always used. Can somebody tell me what that phrase is? Just the, facts. Just, just the facts, right? Well, I looked it up on Snopes, and that's the common misconception, just the facts, ma'am. What was actually said is, all we want are the facts, ma'am, and all we know are the facts, ma'am. But the point is, we just want the facts, so, what is the resurrection? You hear about resurrection? You hear about Easter. You see out there in the stores. you see the Easter eggs, you see the bunnies. you see the funny looking grass that goes in there, whether it 's pink or green or blue or whatever it is. and you do these easter egg hunts and of course that 's in the Bible in First Speculations chapter three verse seventeen. It talks about that right of course it 's not there at all, but we have these cultural norms that we have taken from generation to generation, and we have combined it. With what we celebrate as the Resurrection Day. Again, that day is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But we want to know just the facts. What are the facts of this resurrection? Of course, as I've already said, what is Resurre- Resurrection Sunday? It's a big deal both to the saved and the unsaved. And as I just said a couple of times, it happened over 2,000 years ago, and now is when we commemorate that. We get together, as we do on any Sunday, but this Sunday specifically, we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, but what makes that so special? Weren't there other people raised from the dead in the Bible? Well, the answer is yes. There were people who were raised from the dead in the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. A couple of them here. Elijah resurrected the son of Zarephath's widow. In 1 Kings chapter 17, he was dead and he resurrected him. Elisha resurrected the son of the great Shunammite woman. Uh, It was brought back from the dead. And also, when Elisha died, they took his bones. Normally what they would do is they'd put you in a sepulcher until your body rotted. Then they would take your bones and they'd put it in an ossuary. An ossuary would be a stone or a wood box covered with metal or sometimes just a wood box and they'd place all your bones in that wood box and they would leave it in a smaller section. They would use the sepulcher over and over and over. With the family members, they'd just place you in there until you rotted, then they put your bones in a box and leave the box that was in there. Well, a guy died and what they did is they threw him in the sepulcher of Elisha after he had died. And they knew he was dead, but as soon as he hit the bones of Elisha, he came to life again. That was one of the miracles that was in the Old Testament. Even his dead bones caused somebody to come back to life. In the New Testament as well, we know that Jesus raised Lazarus and also Jairus' daughter in Matthew chapter 9, verse 25. And there were many saints resurrected at the crucifixion of Jesus. Do you guys remember that in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus was crucified, when he gave up the ghost, people came actually out of the graves and walked into the city of Jerusalem at that time. Now, I don't know about you but that would kind of freak me out if i was over at rosecrans fort rosecrans over there and all of a sudden the the floodgates opened and people started coming out of the ground and walking back into point loma and giving a testimony of some kind i would say this is definitely a sign something is going on here well god wanted to do that and so we see that people have been resurrected from the dead. And Paul raised Eutychus from the dead as well. Peter raised a female disciple named Tabitha. And so there are instances where people are resurrected. Now, that's a common phrase we use is resurrected, but that's really not what happened. There are two things that take place. There's resuscitation and there's resurrection. Resuscitation is not resurrection the people who were in the graves that came out at the crucifixion of jesus christ and walked into the city they were resuscitated they had to die again a bummer huh you raise from the dead and you think it's great but then you raise from the dead and then you have to go and you die again everybody that was raised in the bible from the dead except for jesus had to die a second time so resuscitation is where you take somebody who has a respiratory problem or a pulmonary problem and you it stops they're not breathing anymore maybe the heart's not pumping anymore and you revive them is what you do you do the cpr you press on their chest you breathe into their mouth where air goes in their lungs and you bring them back do you guys know how long you have before brain damage ensues That's right. It's three minutes. You only have three minutes to work on that individual. Now, if you do the compressions and everything, you might extend that a little bit, or if the person was in frozen water, you might be able to get away with them being okay. I know there was one testimony a few years ago of a child who fell into a frozen lake, and 40 minutes later, they took him out. They revived him, resuscitated him, and he was just fine. Because of the cold, he was able to survive that. So that's resuscitation. What Jesus went through was the resurrection. The resurrection is a transformation and a reanimation. Let me say that again. The resurrection is a transformation and a reanimation. In other words, the very cells of your body are changed in some way. Now, Jesus said he was the resurrection. He told that to Martha in John chapter 11, verse 25, when he went to resurrect Lazarus, his good friend from the dead. And he told Martha that he was the resurrection and the life. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take out your Bibles, and I want to show you something here that we have the opportunity to take part in the resurrection. None of us have yet taken part in the resurrection. I'd like you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51. And if you know your Bible, you know that this deals with the rapture of the church. And in the rapture of the church, people are going to be changed. They are going to be transformed and reanimated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, we're going to read through verse 55. In verse 51, it says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is something that was previously unknown. It's a new revelation. We will not all sleep. And the word for sleep here that is used in 1 Corinthians is a word for dying. So we will not all die, but we will all be changed in the flash or in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And you can take that word and highlight it if you've got a highlighter. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true: Death has been swallowed up in victory. where o oh death is your victory, where or o oh death is your sting Now, as I said, this refers to the rapture of the church in order to understand what the resurrection is, you kind of have to know what the timeline is of what has taken place. Now, if you follow the biblical genealogies that are listed in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament, it's repeated. The genealogy or the history of humankind goes a little over 6,000 years. You can go back and you can see where it began with Adam and Eve, and it lists the number of years that each one of them was alive until we get to a place in history where it's recorded. So you can easily go back and find when these people existed. All the people that died in the Old Testament, they have not been resurrected yet. Their bodies, their bodies are still in the ground, they have decomposed, they're in the ocean, they're wherever they may lie when the person dies, that's where the elements are located. God says in the future he is going to resurrect them and that means he's going to transform them and then resuscitate. So the body will be transformed, and then they will be given life once again. Now, we all know that we were born from human parents. We were born through water. The amniotic sac breaks, and that's fine. We are born in that way. When we are resurrected, we are also born in a new way. It talks about that in John chapter 3. It says you must be born, and the common phrase is born again, but the phrase is probably more accurately translated we must be born from above so you must be born twice if you die once you will be born twice if you die twice you're only going to be born once this idea that you would be born physically and you're going to be resurrected but some to resurrection of life some to the resurrection of death but i digress When we get back to the rapture, what is the rapture? So all the people in the Old Testament who have not been resurrected yet, well, who's going to be resurrected when the rapture comes? First, to get to the rapture, we have to understand the times in which we live. God told us that the rapture would be coming and there would be perilous times in those days. If you go to the Olivet Discourse, that is in Matthew chapter 24, you can read about what's going to take place in the end times. And of course, we have talked about that in here as well as in Bible study. The times of the end are upon us. All of the things that are happening in the Middle East and the United States and how we're declining, all of that stuff kind of lines up with scripture. God says before the great tribulation comes, and that's a seven-year period that's going to be here on earth, he is going to take his church according to what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. It's also listed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. It's in a flash and a twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. In other words, we'll be transformed and we'll get the new body, just like Jesus was transformed and he got his new body that was physical, corporal, you could touch him. It wasn't something that he was a mist. You could actually touch him, and he appeared to his disciples. That's when he says, we will get our bodies. Now, if we are still alive when this takes place, we will not die. As we just read, it says some of you will not sleep, or some of you will not die. If you die, you will be the first one to be resurrected. First, it was Jesus Christ, and this is called the first resurrection, and I'll get into that in a minute. But the first resurrection began with Jesus Christ. And then the next part of the resurrection is going to take place at the rapture. And we get to be, at that point, transformed. We will get our eternal bodies and we will be brought into the new life or be born from above, as it says in John chapter 3. So with this rapture that's coming, what about the rest of the people? Now, the only people that participate in the rapture are those people who are, quote-unquote, saved. Now, that is Christianese. What do you mean saved? It means you are able to go to heaven is what that means. There are people who will not be able to go to heaven. And the people who are going to heaven, they are the ones who are going to be raptured. And so sticking with just the facts, we want to go on with this a little bit. And I'll digress again. This idea of the resurrection, I told you that not only are Christians interested in this, but the world is interested in this. But not the same way. For instance, when somebody gets ready to die, they're in what is called the throes of death. The body does not want to expire. And the separation of the soul from the body, sometimes people will convulse a little bit, but it's that separation that takes place in the last moments of life, the throes of death that takes place. People don't want that. Most people are afraid of death. We don't want to talk about death. That's something that just happens at a funeral. The rest of the time, we're just going to be happy. We're not going to think about those bad things, right? But we have to think about that. We have to prepare for what lies ahead. If we don't prepare for that, I mean, how many people get out of this place alive? Zero. No one gets out of this place alive. All of us are going to pass over that threshold to death unless. We participate in the rapture if that comes. And so we have to start thinking about this, and stories throughout all of history have been written about this. Like, for instance, anybody know who Ponce de Leon is? Yeah, he's the guy that was looking for the fountain of youth. Now, it is thought that he came over with Christopher Columbus on his second voyage to the New World in 1493. When he came over here he was put in charge of some land area and he did some farming and stuff like that but he was also looking for this fountain of youth and he got in a ship and he was going north and it was said that it was north of Cuba and that's how he found the state of Florida that's where he went to now this took place a long time ago in 1513 is when this took place So he was looking for the fountain of youth. And there's all kinds of stories and movies that have been made about living forever. I think that there was one several years ago that had uh, Goldie Hawn, Meryl Streep, and who was the guy? Bruce Willis. Uh, Death Becomes Her, I think, is the name of the movie. And they wanted to drink a potion, and they wanted to live forever physically, right? So humankind is interested in lasting forever, The only thing, most of the people that exist are interested in doing it on their terms and not on God's terms. Now, with that, it's pretty interesting. This was posted yesterday. And I read it yesterday. It was in the Washington Post. And I'm going to make a point that I've made before. In the Washington Post on Sunday, April 5th, is what I have down here, is when you actually saw it on the web. It's called, this is the title of it, The Human Upgrade, Tech Titan's Latest Project, Defy Death. For centuries, explorers have searched for the fountain of youth. Today, billionaires believe that they can create it using technology and data. Now, I have talked about this before. I talked about the book by Ray Kurzweil, uh, The Fantastic Voyage, Live Long Enough to Live Forever, and I told you what was coming, right? Right? And I've talked about that for a few years now, at least five years. Well, let me uh, read a few of these excerpts. It says, seated at the head of the table for 12 with a view of the city's soaring skyline, Peter Thiel was deep in conversation with his guest, eclectic scientist whose research was considered radical, even heretical. It was 2004, and Thiel had recently made a tiny fortune selling PayPal, which he co-founded, to eBay. He had spent what he wanted on himself, a posh penthouse suite at the Four Seasons Hotel and a uh, silver Ferrari, and was now soliciting ideas to do good with his money. He and the tech titans who founded Google, Facebook, eBay, Napster, and Netscape are using their billions to rewrite the nation's science agenda and transform biomedical research. Their objective is to use the tools of technology, the chips, software, program, algorithms, and big data that are they used in creating the information revolution to understand and upgrade what they consider to be the most complicated piece of machinery in existence, the human body. The entrepreneurs are driven by the certitude that rebuilding, regenerating, and reprogramming patients, organs, limbs, cells, and DNA will enable people to live longer and better. The work they are funding includes hunting for the secrets of living organisms and insanely long lives, engineering microscopic nanobots that can fix your body from the inside out, figuring out how to reprogram the DNA you were born with, and exploring ways to digitize your brain based on the theory that your mind could live long after your body expires. They're doing this right now. One of these guys spent $430 million. One of those guys did. They are on this like a freight train. This theo, I think he is uh, 47 years old. And with Ray Kurzweil, the idea is if you live long enough they will actually be able to reverse the aging process and you will live forever. That means everything that's sagging and thin is, or your skin is getting thinner, all of that will go back out. Everything will be lifted and you'll be strong and they can make you stronger. They can change your DNA structure to make you live forever. Now, on one hand, you're going, well, that's kind of interesting. Eternal life is what you would have without God. Now, think back for a moment there's this person named adam and eve and they had two trees to choose from one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the other was the tree of life now class which one did they pick knowledge of good and evil right and what did god do with them after that kicked him out of the garden. Why? Because he didn't want them to live forever and go to the tree of life. He said, ain't happening, not on my watch, you're out of here. Kicked him out and put an angel at the gate, so to speak, the entrance to the Garden of Eden to where nobody could pass into that place. And it was destroyed in the flood of Noah. That's why we no longer know the location, the tectonic plates and all of that. It is all moved. It is no longer there. And so... God said, you will not live forever in that body. Now, this is the part I've told you before. If this is the case, how long before they get their research to where it actually works? How long before they can extend your life to 100 and 150 years? And by the time they get out that far, they will have the knowledge to extend your life 1,000 years, according to Ray Kurzweil. We have never seen anything like this in history. So the world is interested in, quote-unquote, a resurrection. But there is a problem with this. Imagine for a moment, and I'm going to stick with the resurrection here, but I want to tell you the pitfalls. Imagine they are successful in doing this. And one of the ways I've read in the past that they have done this is in the cellular structure, the DNA that we have within every single cell in our body. Once that cell divides, there's what's called telomeres or telomeres at the end. It's like a bead. And every time your cell divides, one of those beads falls off. And by the time you get to the last bead, you die. You are programmed to die. They have found a way in worms to keep those beads on there where the worms just live incredibly long lives that's part of the research that they're funding they want to find out how to do this in humans and so if you do that you have this body that's self-repairing now imagine mixing that with these nanobots that i just read about and you might say this morning where are you going with this is this the resurrection or what i will get there all right This idea that you put a nanobot inside of you that repairs any damage that you have. For instance, say there's nanobots that fix your heart. You have a heart attack, and the nanobots go to your heart and repair the actual tissue, the part of your heart that died, and it keeps you alive. It doesn't allow you to die. And they do that with the liver, and you pay big money for each one of your organs. And I'm sure that's how they do it. They won't just give you one nanobot to cure everything. They'll give you, okay, so you would like to buy nanobots for your liver today. Please, Mr. Johnson, sit right down here. The doctor will see you in a moment. And by the way, did you bring your $1 million for that liver repair? Did you bring that? And you'll say, yes, I did. After all, you have all eternity to pay it off, right? So it's going to be really expensive. But people are going to do this, especially the people that have the money. And the people that have the money are these tech titans that will use it for their own aggrandizement. And the technological revolution will just skyrocket. It'll just take off. And they'll think, we have achieved eternal life without God, is what they're saying. Now, I want you to read something. I want you to see it yourself. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 9. Now, this is what they're talking about now, and this is what they are funding now. And as I've said, I have talked about this before. This is within our future. All of us who are sitting here, this is within our future, just maybe a decade or two out is when this is going to actually start taking hold. And that's what they say in these articles. Now, in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, I want you to pay attention. This is during the tribulation period. And there's a key element I want you to latch on to as we get in the middle of this tribulation. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, Or any plant or tree, but those people who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Now here it is. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Now put these two together. I don't know if this is what this is or God just keeps the people alive, but could it happen this way if they get what they want in the technological sector? Yes, you will not be able to die if you have these nanobots and you have the science in your system. It will keep you alive. For instance, if you lose your arm and you're starting to bleed, I'm sure the nanobots in there would stop the bleeding and eventually they'd grow you a new limb. They're working on that too. Have you seen the people that are completely paralyzed and they're giving them an exoskeleton and some of the feeling is coming back and they're doing research on that? I mean, it is just coming like a freight train. So people want to live forever forever. It's just most people don't want to live forever under God's terms. They would like to resuscitate the old body, but they don't want to resurrect the old body. Now when you resurrect it, and I want to stick with just the facts, ma'am. When you when you go and you want to resurrect or yeah, resurrect the life and you want to give it this eternal life, so to speak, you have to start asking the question, all right, so who gets the eternal life? Who gets it God's way, and who gets it man's way? The people who get it God's way are those people who say, I understand who I am. God has told me through his word that I am a fallen being. Now, we talk about this on a regular basis. I just talked about this last week. And that is, we are sinners. We like to tell each other, oh, you're a good person. There is no such thing as a good person, especially little children. When little children are born, you think they're good? You want to think they're good. And I see these postings, oh, my little angel. Just give the child time. The, the child will turn and you know, sprout little horns and just look and hiss at you and fight and all of that will happen. They don't have to be taught how to be evil. They are just naturally evil. Little kids, when they play together, they slap and they hit and they push each other down because they want what they want. We are still like that. We've just learned to be a little more reserved in most cases, right? Except at Walmart at Christmas. People pile through those doors and people get trampled because we want what we want. Now, if we want this eternal life according to our terms, and we read stuff like in the book of Revelation where people won't be able to die, this is a scary thought because God says he is indeed coming. How do we know that? Because he came the first time. Well, how do we know he came the first time? Because it's written down with many witnesses, and it was even prophesied that it would take place. So not only did he come and we have a testimony of it, but we have prophecy that has been fulfilled. And so if he says he's coming back another time, maybe we should believe that. And if he's coming back a second time, he's going to do exactly what he says. By the way, as a side note, we're going through the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to be talking about the abomination which makes desolate, and that is a future time of the Antichrist when he's coming. And there are two studies on the back table. There is uh, 8 and 9a, I think, back there, and we're going to be continuing to do that. So if you'd like to know more, you can... Go ahead and pick that up. So this idea of the resurrection, there is the first resurrection. And I talked about this, that we have part, those who believe in Christ have part in the first resurrection. I'd like you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about the time that we will experience the first resurrection. Now, this is also in connection with the book of Revelation, where it says that those who have gone through the tribulation period that are believers will also be resurrected. So the first resurrection begins at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the middle is the rapture at the church. And at the end is the transformation, the resurrection. And the resuscitation of those people who have been killed during the tribulation period—that were believers in Christ, the Christians who were there. Now, this is in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten, and it says, "We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad." And if you look up the word in the Greek here, this is called the "beam seat" of Christ. That is the Greek word "beam seat." And that is where uh, in the Olympic Games, and most of you know this, in the Olympic Games, when they would win back in the ancient Greek days, they would give this individual a wreath and they'd put him on a pedestal on a podium and he would be able to live tax-free. And Caesar would declare him the winner. Thumbs up, you are the winner, that type of thing. And the seat in which he would sit, Caesar would sit, was called the bema seat. In other words, he didn't sit in the Bema seat and say, okay, you have really sinned, buddy. Here's your judgment, which is to come. He goes, no, you won the race, and here is your wreath, and Jesus will say, here is your eternal life. He says he will give us crowns. Now, literal crowns, I don't know about, but he says we have crowns that we're working for. If you're wise and you save souls, you get a crown, for that. If you accept Jesus Christ, you get a crown of glory also that you're going to be wearing. And so that is for the believer. There is no judgment like that, no judgment with a penalty. The worst we will suffer is it talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where we will suffer loss if we are a believer and we do things from selfish motivation. If you do things from selfless motivation, you will have great reward in heaven. Now, all of us, if we are going to heaven, need to focus on that. We need to have treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust corrupt. But on earth, if you store up your treasures here on earth, the moth and rust both corrupt whatever you have here. So that is the first resurrection. Again, so that there's clarity. The first resurrection began with Jesus Christ towards the end or towards the middle of the end. It is the rapture of the church. And after the seven-year tribulation period is over and the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ back here on earth at the Mount of Olives is where he lands. He is going to resurrect those who are beheaded for their faith during the tribulation period. Okay, so that's the first resurrection. The second resurrection is what is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, the great white throne judgment is talked about in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I'm just going to read it to you. You can bookmark it if you would like. But it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so who is resurrected at this point is going to be all those people who also died during the millennial reign of christ that were believers in god those are believers some people say also it's the righteous from the old testament i don't know if they're going to be resurrected during the um, tribulation period when we are all taken in the rapture or i don't know if it's going to be at the end the great white throne judgment but there's going to be people who are saved and unsaved and you are going to be judged by what you did now this awaits us all None of us are outside of this. God created us. He told us what's going to happen, and so we want to prepare for it. If you're not part of the saved, if you're part of the unsaved, and again, to get saved, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's how you get saved. Okay, I'll go into that a little bit more in a minute. But the second resurrection takes place and everything you did in your life Every sin, every problem, every good thing, too, is going to be, you know, we used to say, like a video screen. It'll probably be holographic, and everybody will see it. They will know, or God will just inform us in our own minds. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he is going to be shown for judging righteously. If you don't have Christ, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though you might have said, but I went to church. I dropped money in the agape box and back in Calvary Chapel Lakeside. And so there there are people who think they're going to heaven, and they're not. Now, what do you call that kind of person? They're deceived. If if you think something is going to take place, and you believe it, but it's not going to happen, you're deceived. And so there are those people who are going to heaven, and they know it. They have great assurance of their faith. God has gotten a hold of them and they're producing fruit. There's another group of people that produce no fruit and they say, I'm a believer because I go to church. That's not what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do not be deceived. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why did God write that? He wrote that because there are people who are deceived. How do you know if you're deceived? Only by Scripture. You're supposed to hold it up and you're supposed to look at yourself in the scripture and say, is this me or is this not? Am I saved or am I not? We are supposed to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith or not. Now, again, how do you know if you are truly a believer? You would know you would produce fruit, right? Now, we've talked about this in the past few weeks. Your fruit will just naturally happen. Well, what kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians chapter 5. You will have those things exude from you. And they will transform into actual works. Where you see somebody who's hungry, you feed them. You see somebody who needs clothes, you clothe them. You visit those who are in prison. You do that. You take care of the widows and orphans and their need. That is religion pure and undefiled. You are doing those things. I remember a few weeks ago I was talking about Matthew chapter 13 where it talks about the kingdom parables and the parable of the sower of the seed, the one that has the weeds in it. The thing that keeps that person from accepting the word of God and having it produce fruit in their lives is that person. It's the pursuit of riches, it's the cares of this life, and the pursuit of other things. That's what it says. That person does not get saved, even though they think they are. It actually depicts a person who is inside the church that has no fruit. And that's how you examine it. Now, if you think about this a moment, you're either going, amen, or you're going, wow, maybe I should inspect myself for some fruit, right? Is there some hanging there? Is there not? And this has to do with the resurrection. I mean, what would it be like if you are not a believer and you get resurrected? What kind of realization are you going to come to at that point? This is not good, right? You're going to look at it and say, you know, maybe I should have listened to what was going on. Maybe I should have paid attention. Now, at this point, you're going, wow, this... This sounds awful foreboding and awful bad. Like, what's going on? I thought you're supposed to be happy on Resurrection Day. Yeah, we are happy on Resurrection Day. I'm going to give you a little personal illustration. Patty and I were down at the boardwalk. And when we were down at the boardwalk, we were riding our bikes, and we were sitting on the wall. We were getting ready to go into a restaurant, and this guy rides up on a bike, and he has a track. And he goes, here! And I said, no, it's all right. We're safe. It's all right. You keep it and give it to somebody else. And he goes, no, brother, you see somebody else, you go ahead and you give them that track. I said, okay, you know, so I grabbed the track, and then I started reading the track. And the the track was really not an uplifting story. It really did not say something like, it's wonderful, Jesus died for you, he loves you so much, and if you just receive him, you get to live forever, and there's no more tears, sorrow, pain, or suffering, or any of that. It didn't say that. It said, you are under judgment. You better turn from your judgment. If you don't, that's the end for you, buddy. (laughs) That's pretty much what it said. And I'm just going, wow, I wouldn't give this track to anybody because there is what is known as the good news, right? If somebody knows that they're going to live forever, would they consider that good news? Yes. And those people who live forever, they're going to have those new transformed bodies. And I've used this every Easter, every resurrection day. Jesus' body remember what he did when the and you know what it is the doors were closed how did he get in there He beamed in so to speak He didn't open the door he just materialized right there in the middle of the room that was his new body I believe that when we are resurrected if you want to go somewhere beam me up Scotty Zzz and you just go wherever you want to go. That's one of the things about the new body that Jesus had. Now, did he do that just because he's God? I don't know. Do the angels go from one dimension to the other? Yes, they do. Are we going to be a little bit maybe like them in our spiritual body? I think it's going to be a fun ride. I think it's going to be great. I don't think that there's going to be any problems whatsoever. Scripture tells us that. We're not going to be full of pain or sorrow or suffering any of that. We're not going to remember the former things Isaiah says are not even going to come to mind. It wouldn't be heaven if we remembered all of those who perished here. Okay, so that's where we are. Those are the facts of the resurrection. It's something that we can hold on to. So how do I get this eternal life? Well, again, just to review, some think they possess it and don't. Some don't have it and don't want it. And some don't have it and do want it. All of us who are in here are in one of those categories. I'm going to read those again. Some think they possess it, which is eternal life, and don't. Some don't have it and don't want it. And some don't have it and do want it. And what I'm talking about, those who don't want it, they don't want it on God's terms. They want it on human terms. But God is going to stop that, I believe. He's done that a couple of times in the past. Also, the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. When they built the Tower of Babel and they're unified in their language, God came down and saw what they were doing and he said, because they have this unified language, nothing will be impossible for them to do. And so God confounded their language, and he separated them. And there you have the different cultures and the different nations that came out of that. So God prevented the advancement of the human race. He will not allow us to live forever in these particular bodies. So how do you get this eternal life? Well, you would have to be, and I'm speaking to those, the some who don't have it, and do want it. Or if you think you have it, maybe you'd like the insurance policy. Little and fire insurance and yeah, okay, I'm just going to make sure because it's not going to go well for me. And again, this, these are the choices. I am just the messenger. I'm the one that's telling you the choices. There's heaven and there's hell. Matthew chapter 25 verse 46 says some are raised to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. Now I know when I say that, there are some people that are going to say, I don't believe that. You're free to believe whatever you'd like. I'm going to choose to believe what God said. Those were actually the words of Jesus. He said, some will be raised to eternal life, and some to, and the operative word is, eternal punishment. It never ends. Now, I don't like those terms. If it was me, it'd be roller coaster day every day. You would have cotton candy. You would live forever. No problems. Everybody gets in. But God is not one to force his will upon us. We simply have to say, I want this. But, you know, the caveat with that is, well, if I accept him, what's he going to make me do? You know, he might make me go to the Amazon or something, and I don't want to go there. You know, God will not violate your will. You will not become an automaton. You will not become this robot, I will do exactly what God says, and you turn and you just have to do it because that's his will for you. No. He still gives you the choice. The point is, you need to make sure you're going to be resurrected according to God's terms and not according to the world's terms. Now, I've already told you how you participate in this. This is according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and Acts chapter 16, verse 30. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, the apostles were incarcerated And there was a great earthquake. And a Roman guard, if he knew that his prisoners were going to escape or if they did escape, that Roman guard was killed. It was his life or the prisoner's life. So normally what they would do if there was some type of accident, they would kill the prisoner to make sure they wouldn't get killed. But this great earthquake earthquake took place. It's probably dark in there. And the jailer, they knew, was going to kill himself because when the earthquake took place, all the doors opened. And he thought they had all escaped. And he was going to take his life. And the apostles told him, don't. Don't take your life. We are still here. And he ran and he said, what must I do to be saved? Those were the first words we have recorded that came out of his mouth. And what he was told was, believe you and your family or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. It requires belief. As far as discipleship is concerned, that's your job. But getting saved, that's God's job. All you must do is believe and confess with your mouth that you want to be saved, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. And again, I know that there is this trepidation, there is this angst like, do you mean I have to start going to church all the time? You know, when I got saved, I couldn't get enough of it, it was like heroin. I I just, I needed to go more. I wanted to gain this knowledge, only it was spiritually speaking, not physically speaking. It was, it's like, wow, God had filled my heart and given me his word. I I just needed more. I needed to be saturated with it. And I got to the point, and I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Well, I guess I'm doing it. And and you might say, well, I don't want to be a pastor. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But it's this... It's this idea he will give you the desires of your heart and you'll do exactly what he wants you to do because he actually places the desires in there he will put it in there. And then once you do it, you're going to go, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is fantastic. You know, it's going to be so great. And what I'm looking forward to Titus chapter two, verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, we're going, it's going to happen anytime soon. When we see the events around the world taking place, we see Israel being pushed to the side and we see that we're going towards the evil despotic rulers around the earth. We just, you got to wonder what is going on here. This is, just like messed up how long until the lord comes i don't know i have a tendency to think it's right around the corner if it isn't that's okay i'll be patient and i'll do what he wants me to do while i'm here and that is my prayer for you guys as well that you in fact say jesus i believe in you save me from my sins if you say that if you believe that he says done You are justified in his sight. Again, the discipleship is your job. Now, what I'm going to do, as I did last week, I'm going to just say a prayer of salvation. I'm going to have everybody repeat it. If you believe it, it'll take hold. If you don't believe it, no harm, no foul for you, at least now, right? In the future, there's still the judgment seat, the great white throne that we will all face. So once I do that, there's one other thing that I'd like to let you know. We're going to receive communion this morning. If you were doing this and you've never really become a disciple, you've never really followed Christ, you couldn't tell me some of the books in the New Testament. You couldn't tell me the Ten Commandments, or maybe you could give me a couple of them. You really are uneducated or unknowledgeable about the things in Scripture You really don't know what salvation is. You really don't know who Jesus Christ is. Is he the second person of the Trinity? Or is it just one God and he appears in three forms? Or what is that? If you would like to be a disciple, I will commit to you to meet with you. I will meet with you and I will give you this information so that you would be a solid disciple. And by the way, that's a great commission, Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what he told us to do. So if you'd like to be obedient and be a disciple like that, I will meet with you personally. All you have to do is, there's a card in your chair that's there. You can pull out that card and say, I want to be a disciple. Put your information down there and I will contact you and I will set something up. If there's more than one of you, we'll all meet at the same time and we'll go through this stuff. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to say a prayer of salvation. If you pray this, and I'd like everybody to pray it, if you mean it, great. You get saved. If you don't mean it, Well, okay, you know the consequences. It has been clearly explained to you so you get to choose. So please repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, Father, I accept your Son, Jesus Christ, Christ, as as my Lord and Savior. 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 I thank you for the forgiveness of sins sins. that you have given to me. And I will trust in you For my eternal life. life. In In Jesus' name. Amen.